Today's sermon text comes from 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thankful, Sam, for that retro song, a song that was is before my time a little bit, by a few years. It's so cool to hear songs that I don't know, and then I have to stop singing, even though I don't want to stop singing, and then I get to hear your voices and how encouraging it is that some of you know that song, and you were singing, and I get to hear truth from somebody else. It's just a reminder that God is at work in others. Others have different experiences, other lessons for me to learn. Even though I'm up here to preach, when we gather to worship, you are all preaching to one another. And I'm thankful for that. So before we dive into this word, let's bow our heads again and beg God for his spirit to illuminate our hearts. God, I'm so thankful for this room full of redeemed, spirit-filled image bearers of Christ. And I get to stand up front and see the radiance of your glory shine off of their faces. And as I gaze upon Jesus in them, I get to be made more like Jesus. And I pray that as I stand before them and I speak the words of Jesus, that they too will be transformed into his likeness. Empower us by your spirit. Empower my words by your spirit to bring truth. Empower their hearts, God, to receive that truth and lift us out of darkness, out of doubt and despair and into confidence that we may know that Jesus, you are the truth. In his name, we surrender our time. Amen. It is quite a common occurrence for every single Christian at some point in your life to experience doubt. You're going to ask yourself all kinds of questions. Is this true? And what am I doing with my life? Does this make any sense? How can I be sure I'm on the right path? How can I be confident God is holding me? How can I know that I'm not just making all this up to make myself feel better? When I've gone through some significant life challenges, these questions, this kind of doubt just forces itself right into my mind and just bounces around in my skull and I can't get it out. This was especially true a few years ago when my wife, Molly, was really sick. She was so weak 
that she couldn't get out of bed for months. And then I had to be nurse and dad and teacher and husband and chef and pastor and, and landscape groundskeeper and homemaker, all of those things, much more than one man can handle. And every day I wondered, did God hear my prayers? Every day that things didn't improve, I wondered if God really cared about us. Every day I pondered if my faith was really worth anything as I continued to cry out for mercy and heard silence. And it all came to a head one day when the kids are sitting around the table waiting for me to warm up some lunch for them in the microwave. And they were being loud kids as kids often do. And I was really tired from being up late at night, all night long, trying to help take care of Molly. And then on top of that, the financial pressures of of medical bills were pressing in on me. And I just got off the phone with an insurance company arguing with all the billing. And it just came, felt like everything was crashing down in me, on me all at once. And I couldn't handle it anymore. And I blew up right in front of the kids. I slammed that microwave shut. I said, where are you, God? Why are you doing this to us? And it got really quiet. (laughs) The kids stopped talking and they looked at me with their mouths gaping wide open. They're like, whoa. I've never seen that side of dad before. I'm sure they were a little afraid that they had lost their mom for weeks and months and now they're about to lose their dad too. But God was so faithful to me in my weakness, in my doubt. He gently brought me back to his truth to comfort my heart, to reveal himself to me so I could know that I was in his truth. And that's the main idea I want to focus on today from these letters from John, that you can know that you are in the truth. Many of you, I know, have wrestled with similar kinds of doubts. And today I want to give you practical, experiential ways to gain assurance that Christ is in you and with you. John was writing to a church wrestling with similar doubts. Persecution had continued to spread throughout the empire. Some had recently left the church. And as they were on their way out the door, leveling accusations, teaching contrary ideas, planting seeds of doubt. You can't really trust those words. You can't trust that guy. She's going to try to hurt you if you stick around. So he's writing to this church to give them assurance. So they can know They can know they are in the truth. And his whole letter, all three of these letters, are giving three ways that we can know that we are in the truth. And we see them right here in these opening verses. First, in verses 1 and 2, we are going to look at the foundation of life. Where John is asking us to think about what do you believe? What are you believing about God that shapes how you view the world and your circumstances? And then he explains the fellowship of life in verse 3, describing what faithfulness looks like. How do you experience all of this, this grace from God? By asking, with whom do you associate? And finally, John inspires us to the fullness of life in verse 4, modeling for us what we find our joy and hope in. So these are things given to us that we may know that we are in the truth. 
So let's see how he lays this out in our text. We're going to first look at the foundation of life in verses 1 and 2. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched, looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So the first thing that John wants us to dwell on is who Christ is. This is the foundation of life. If you want peace and comfort and security and flourishing in your life, you need to know Jesus. It's not enough just to simply say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I know some things. I grew up in church. The foundation of hope and joy is his nature, his character, his work, and a right relationship with him. Anytime you begin to doubt, you come back here and ask, who is Jesus? It all starts with Jesus. The beginning of verse 1 tells us that we need to consider all the way back in history at the beginning of all things. He says, that which was from the beginning. Not We're not considering the beginning, but that which was at the beginning. The creator. He's telling us Jesus is the creator of the universe. The end of verse 1, he repeats it by saying he's the word of life. Remember in Genesis 1, how God created the whole world. You see this repetition over and over. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. When the creator speaks, the creation responds. This word that he speaks isn't just a sound that comes from his mouth, though. It's not ideas in his head. This word is a person. A person. And John tells us his name is Jesus. John tells us at the beginning of his gospel account, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God the creator. If you're trusting in this creator, then he is creating new life in you, even if sometimes it doesn't quite feel like it. This is the knowledge that's so essential for enduring in the faith and overcoming doubt. One of the ways that I like to go and refresh myself when I'm feeling those doubts and despairs is just to get outside and go for a walk. It's a lot easier when it's beautiful like this. That's why it's so difficult, why many people wrestle with doubt and despair and depression in the winter. So we can't get out and see God's creation. We get out there and we realize this beauty, this order can't possibly come from nothing, from a random explosion. Order, beauty, knowledge, these things don't come out of chaos. They're not random accidents. They need to come from some powerful, beautiful, creative, orderly being. And his name is Jesus. If Jesus can create all of that stuff and sustain it all, he can take my chaotic life, the darkness of my life, and bring it into a beautiful, pleasing life for him as well. Now being even... More than just a creator, John clarifies for us what this means. If he's the creator, that he's God. 
But it's not like there's just God and sometimes he's named Jesus and sometimes he's named Yahweh. Jesus is co-equal with the Father. It says he was with the Father, but not identical to the Father. How do those things work? I don't know. This is what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit, all God. Yet they're one God together. Diversity and unity. We can't comprehend it fully, but it is essential for knowing him and living in his world. As we're going to see more shortly. And we'll explore more in Sunday school next week. So come back for Sunday school. Foundational to your assurance is knowing that Jesus is fully equal. co creator with the father and the holy spirit but shifting a little bit john tells us in verse two that there's another detail about jesus nature that we must grasp he begins and ends verse two saying this life this word of life was made manifest to us It's a fancy way of saying the one who exists before all time the one who spoke all things into existence created flesh He took on flesh. He became one of us. Fully human. And notice how John repeats that emphasis when he says, what we have heard, what we have seen, what we have touched. He was real. It wasn't just some hallucination. We listened and sat under the teaching of the one who speaks things into existence. Wow. We got to watch him do creation miracles, calm storms, create bread out of nothing. We touched him, embraced him, ate with him, slept by him, walked with him, cried, laughed, danced, and sang with him. This reality is essential for you to know you're in the truth. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Both things are necessary. He must have both of those for your salvation. He must be eternal in order to satisfy the eternal consequences of your sin. But he must be human in order to be your substitute, your faithful representative and the head of a new humanity. And so throughout this letter, John's going to add more detail to these essential doctrines that we must believe, these foundational truths for our assurance. He says in chapter 1, verses 7 to 9, that Jesus didn't just come to be a wise teacher. He came to shed his blood, to die for your sins. He's the pure sacrifice for your sins to cleanse you from all of your disordered desires, your wrong passions, your skewed perspectives, and selfish goals. He came to wash those away. Chapter 2 reminds us that Jesus was sinless. He's perfectly righteous. He's the king of heaven and earth. And when the king speaks, we are called to obey his commands. If the creator speaks and creation responds, and you're a new creation in him, then you will respond just like he commands the tides to rise and fall. And they do. He commands the earth to spin on its axis and it does. He commands the snow to melt outside and we get to rejoice in new birth of spring. And he commands your heart to be made new and you will respond if you are in him. 
Dwelling on these truths will bring you assurance of eternal life because they change how you think about the world, how you process what you see, how you consider all the circumstances in your life. Theology, brothers and sisters, isn't just for a few of us nerds who like to open up really thick books and read old dead guys. John says proper theology is essential for you to know that you are in truth. It's the thing that actually saves you. It's the light that guides you through the storms of life. It's the truth that speaks new life into you. It gives you new eyes to interpret the world. And when you're struggling with doubt, these truths give you light and hope as you gaze upon the glory of King Jesus and it washes away all of those doubts. John said in chapter 1 verse 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When you're doubting and you look at these glorious truths, that light just shines in and illuminates your heart and drives the darkness away. This is the foundation of life. But foundations are meant to be built upon. You don't just lay a foundation and go, that is a great foundation. Good work, foundation. You build upon foundations. You put a structure on them. You put a house on the foundation so you can dwell in it and you can share it with other people. And so the next truth to give you assurance is the fellowship of life that we see in verse 3. Verse 3, he says, That which we have seen and had and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. That's interesting. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The word fellowship in the Greek means a potluck after worship. It does not mean potluck. The word fellowship means partnership, sharing. We put our lives together. We share everything about our lives together because we're going the same direction. We're on the same mission. So John says that he and the other apostles got to share fellowship with the Son of God, spending time with him, seeing and hearing him. Can you imagine how awesome that would be just to get to walk with Jesus to eat food with him, to hear directly his teaching, not from me, but from him. That'd be incredible. I wonder, it makes me wonder what his singing to the father sounded like. Did he raise his hands? I bet it was incredible. But John is now saying that he's writing these things down so that you can have fellowship with us and Jesus. How is that possible? We, 2,000 years later, get to have fellowship with Jesus and his apostles. Well, he says that you have Jesus and his, er, fellowship with Jesus and his apostles through the word what the, which the apostles wrote. So every time you open your Bible and read it, you are having fellowship with the apostles. Every time you gather in a weekday Bible study, you are having fellowship with Jesus and his apostles. Every time you come to worship on Sunday, you are having fellowship with Jesus and his apostles, sharing the same promises, the same mission, the same hope. This is why we make such a big deal about Sunday gathering. 
Because this is the clearest fellowship we get to have with Jesus and his apostles. That is heart changing stuff. It's like we're gathering around and Jesus just stands up to speak and we, we take out our little tiny pieces of bread and our morsels of fish and we're just captivated by, by everything coming out of his mouth. The apostles were when he spoke and they wrote these things down. And he said, John says in verse chapter four, verse six, we, the apostles, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If you want to know you are in the truth, you need to get into the word from the apostles, the Bible. These tells us, this word tells us all these glorious truths about Jesus that become our guiding lights through the darkness of this life. Remember when Peter, we just sang this song, where else where we go, Lord, where else will we go? Peter, under the teaching of Jesus goes, this is hard stuff. I don't know if I can follow. Jesus said in John chapter six, you going to walk away too? Is this too hard for you, Peter? And he said, yes, it is too hard for me, but where else can I go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Peter knew I need to listen to Jesus if I am going to overcome all of my doubts. And then he and all the other apostles wrote it down so we too could have that same hope of eternal life. This, this is the beginning of the fellowship of life. But it's not the ultimate goal. Look back in, in verse 3. Interestingly, John says the fellowship of the apostles is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The fellowship that we were made for is with God himself. Remember how important I said theology is, especially this Trinitarian confusion, so vital. And this is one of the reasons why we love it. For all eternity, God had joyful, pleasurable, satisfying fellowship with himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the Son comes out of that fellowship into creation and lives a perfect life. He dies on a cross. He comes out of the grave and ascends into heaven back into that fellowship with Father and Spirit. But he invites everyone who trusts him to join him in that fellowship. Peter understood these truths and he wrote many years later in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He said, in Christ we become partakers of the divine nature. That is incredible. This is the kind of truth that John says will lead you out of your doubt. To know that you are in the truth. It's the fellowship with the apostles that leads us to fellowship with Father and Son. And it's experienced, John says throughout his letters, in fellowship with one another. He says in chapter 2, verse 10, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. You want to know you're a Christian? Do you love a church family? Not just general positive feelings towards Christians, but fellowship, sharing life, sharing sorrows, sharing joys, sharing mission, sharing our homes together. 
He says the same thing in chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Again, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that Jesus became one of us and died for us, and that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John's argument in these chapters is that God is love. Not just the way culture defines love, these feelings of desire and satisfaction the way we want it, but God is love because he gave his own son to die for us in order to make us righteous. And if that love is at work in us, if we are in the truth, then we will offer our lives the same for our church family. We will prioritize our lives, sacrifice our own selfish pursuits, our own interests, our own glory in order to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ to be a blessing to one another. And when things get especially difficult, as they inevitably will, when you bring people that close together and they give up so much to be together, there's going to be conflict. And when there is, we don't quit. We don't run away from each other. And evidence, John says in chapter 2, verse 19, an evidence that you were in the truth is that you stick it out together. He says, some went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You can, another way you can know you are in the truth is that you have just endured for a long time with the church family. Jumping around to other churches or moving to different cities. For whatever reason, sometimes good reason, it will cut into your assurance. When you hear Satan whisper doubts in your ears. You need people around you who know you, who have walked with you, have seen your patterns, your temptations, people that you can trust to speak into your life that they can say to you, you're believing lies, sister. Don't follow that path, brother. Jesus is working in your life. Don't believe Satan. Whom you fellowship with, whom you worship with and share your home with will determine the level of confidence you have in your salvation. So that's why John says in in 2 John, very short letter, 2 John, he just says, don't let false teachers come into your home. Okay, thanks. That's inspired scripture right there. Half a page. He said he's telling them, don't affirm what they're doing. They're false teaching by giving them The blessings of God. You only get the blessings of God when you repent and you trust in Christ. And then then don't give them a platform to influence you and lead you away from Christ and lead you away from his people. But in 3 John, he says the opposite for those who are solid in the gospel. Open your home to them. Give them rest. Care for them. Feed them. Affirm God's work in them so that they can turn around and affirm the light and love of God in you as well. When you're confused, brothers and sisters, about big decisions you have to make, when sorrows and suffering cloud your vision of Jesus, invite the fellowship of life into your light, into your surroundings. Let them speak these foundational truths to your heart and guide you to confident faith. 
That's why I really love you all so much. I really love you all. Because I've been through some difficult situations. And you have all been there. Even that day that I yelled at the top of my lungs, that very day, someone showed up with a meal and reminded me that God is caring for us. You do that for each other all the time. You are fulfilling the words of John right here, probably without even realizing it, assuring each other of your salvation by showing one another that Jesus is alive in you. Let that fellowship be your assurance. Finally, I want to emphasize briefly from verse 4 in our text that all of this theological study is not meant to be boring data analysis. All of this fellowship is not dutiful obligation. I have to go to church today. These truths should lead us to the fullness of life. John writes in verse 4, We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy may be complete. He's writing this book so you can have assurance in Christ. Certainty of your salvation. And it's a joyful assurance. It's complete assurance. He says the same thing in 2 John 12. Repeats the same sentence. Further in 3 John 4. John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This is the final assurance he offers you to know if you're in the truth. Does learning about Jesus get you excited? Does fellowship and worship with the church family fill your heart with delight? All of these truths, empowered by God's Spirit, change your attitudes, change your affections. The more you look at Jesus, the more you begin to fall in love with people that you never thought you could love. And that is an evidence that God is at work in you. It fills you with contentment and new passions and zeal for His mission and eagerness to learn more and just simple satisfaction in the ordinary ways God works in Christian relationships. This word complete in verse 4 means full, that your joy may be full to overflowing. When you gaze upon the glory of King Jesus, you read about him and you hear about him. You delight in all of that. It fills you up with such love for him and for his people. It's not really each other that we love, but Christ in each other. Knowing Jesus through his word and seeing him in each other transforms our affections, makes us fall in love with one another, changes the things we delight in. John says in chapter 2, verse 15, we no longer love the things of this world. We're not captivated by worldly things, by the promises of earthly gain, by financial comforts. We are captivated by the glory of Jesus. We're excited, especially, he says in chapter 2, verse 28, about his return. We are so looking forward to Jesus coming back. The world thinks we're nuts for giving up everything here. Why are you so focused on the life to come? I had one guy once ask me, do I need to call the police? Are you suicidal? No, I just can't wait till Jesus comes back. This, there's nothing here for me. Join me, friend. 
He couldn't. He just couldn't see it yet. But that hope in Jesus and his return only fills us with more joy. Because he says in chapter 3, verse 2, that when Jesus comes back, we are going to see him in all of his full, complete glory. And as we gaze upon him and the joy just fills us to exploding, we're going to come out of these shells and we're going to be transformed instantly into his likeness. I can't wait until that day when all the doubt and all the shame and all the fear will finally be gone. That is a hope that fills us with joy. It so changes our affections that we don't even fear anything in this world anymore. He writes in chapter 4, verse 18, perfect love casts out all fear. We're not afraid to die Because we know that we're going to be raised to eternal life. We're not afraid to get sick. Because we know that the creator can work a brand new body for us. We're not afraid to lose friends. Because we know we have the fellowship of the apostles. And of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Spirit-filled family of God. Here, and even around the world. I love when I go to Uganda. And I get to have these same delightful conversations with people I've never met because they're transformed by the same fellowship with Christ. You can know you are in the truth when your joy is set on eternal life. Near the end of this letter, John says he writes these things so that you know you have eternal life. Jesus didn't come to give you your best life now. Our assurance is not that life goes well. I gave my life to Jesus and now things are great. A lot of times they get a lot harder. Things will be challenging at times. But that doesn't mean your faith has failed. It's just a calling for you to look back to his glorious word. Immerse yourself back in his fellowship. And these things will give you joy and certainty unto eternal life. Friends, if you're doubting, if you are in Christ today... Don't listen to the feelings in your own heart. Those, those will just deceive you. Don't run into inward reflection and isolate yourself. There's no hope there. Don't go to the internet and, and Google, how can I have happiness and assurance and confidence in life? That vast collection of information will just draw you further into confusion. Don't even go find people who are suffering the same doubts as you are because they will just pull you into their web. Look to Christ alone. John says, ends his letter with this weird command. Little children, keep yourself from idols. The end. Okay, what does that mean, John? That leave me hanging. That communicated a lot to them though. Looking to anything else will lead you to despair. Jews knew that you look to idols, you become like them. You look to statues and worship statues, you become deaf and dumb like them. You can't, you have feet, but you can't walk. Eyes, but you can't see. Ears, but you can't hear. Don't look to idols. You will not find assurance anywhere else but Christ. You will not find assurance in a good job, in physical health and fitness, in financial prosperity, in a healthy marriage, in obedient children, world adventures, sophisticated psychology. They will all lead you to despair. No, we must go to the foundation of life. 
gaze upon the wonder of the eternal Son of God who created the world and entered into the world to live righteously on your behalf, to die as your substitute, to rise from the dead and welcome you in to fellowship with the Father. Put your joyful hope in His return when He will wipe away every tear and death will be no more. Know Him personally through fellowship with the Word and with His people. Let your heart get excited about all of these things. And through that, you can know that you are in the truth. Let's pray. God, I know for the first 10 years of my Christian life how much doubt and I had, even in the last few years, wrestling with such darkness. And only by saying, God, reveal yourself to me. I trust that there is something to learn through this. Have you continued to reveal yourself and show your beauty through your word and through your people? And I pray whoever here today does not know Christ or is doubting whether they know Christ, that even today this word and this fellowship of love that we share would fill them with joy. A full, complete joy as they set their eyes on the eternity of heaven. We long for Jesus' return. And we cling to his promises by his work on the cross on our behalf. Amen.